Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Lakaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 386. We have got Mindy Jensen. She is a co-host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. And we don't talk a lot about personal finance on this show, but I like to talk a little bit because it really determines what kind of career options you have available based upon your financial situation. And you want to be getting paid for the awesome work that you're doing. So we got Mindy Jensen herself from Bigger Pockets, which has played a huge role in my own financial world. So I think you'll dig it. You'll learn one, the number one tip for earning more at your job, two, the power of tracking your spending, and three, tips for optimizing the big expenses. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep386. Now here's Mindy's story. Mindy Jensen is the community manager for biggerpockets.com and the co-host of Bigger Pockets Money, a podcast for anyone who has money or wants to have more. So thanks to Mindy for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Mindy. Mindy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thank you for asking me to be on How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm super excited. Oh, me too. Well, it was so fun to meet you at Podcast Movement. And I've been a Bigger Pockets fan for a while. So it was a bit of a celebrity side. You're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am glad we could get together. Oh, me too. Me too. Well, huge thanks and appreciation for what you've done in my world of accumulating money and wealth in terms of doing my first house hack. It's a term I learned from you guys, which refers to buying a multi-unit property and renting out some units and living in one of them. And, and it's awesome to have tenants pay your mortgage for you. It's a treat. You know what? Who wants to pay their own mortgage when somebody else can pay it for you? If anybody wants to pay my mortgage, feel free. <laughs> That's an open <laughs> invitation. Uh, <laughs> well, I want to go back into time a little bit and hear a fun story about you took a distance bike ride from Seattle to D.C. What's the story here? So I used to work at a gym and I was flipping through some magazine and on the back cover was this uh, advertisement that had a picture of the United States. And it had a drawing from Seattle to D.C. And it said some people would do this on an airplane. And then I started reading I'm like, well, yeah, well, how else would you get from Seattle to D.C.? And I'm looking I'm like, this is a bike ride. That sounds awesome. So I, I did a little more research. It's it was a fundraiser for the American Lung Association. And I just thought, you know, 
I'm young. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. This would be a super fun thing to do. And I called them up and they said, oh, that ride started yesterday, but we have another one next year. I'm like, okay, good, because I'm not in any sort of shape to actually be doing a cross-country bike ride. I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time getting in shape before the next year. I just hopped on my bike and did it. Um, Not the recommended route, but it was an amazing experience to be you know, just, I didn't really have anything to do all day long except get to the next camp. And I met a ton of really great people. I raised a lot of money for the American Lung Association and it was a really great experience and I'm super glad I did it. Well, cool. Well, that's great. And so was there a big old group of y'all? How many were making the trek? I think there were 140 of us that year. That's awesome. And so there's like support vans and camping and that? Yes, there were support vans. There was breakfast provided and dinner provided. And then everything else was like, uh, souvenirs and, you know, drinks and everything else was on your own. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, kudos for that achievement and discipline and advanced planning. And some of those <laughs> topics and themes come up on Bigger Pockets. Could you orient listeners who are not familiar with Bigger Pockets? What's it all about? Bigger Pockets is a website where basically you can learn how to invest in real estate. Um, there's a right way and there's like a thousand wrong ways to do it. And if you do it the right way, you can most likely make money, definitely not break any laws. And you really don't know what you don't know. So something might sound really easy. And then you start diving into it. You're like, Oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. And our site exists to help you think of that and think of that. And we have a blog and a forum and now two podcasts, the real estate investing podcast, and the money podcast, because not everybody is in a financial position to just start investing right away. Yeah, that's true. When you say financial position, I reminded my wife and I, we watched all the videos on buying your first property. And I believe it was Scott Trench was the man on camera. And he kept saying strong financial position with hand gestures. And my wife and I, we kept (laughs) alluding to that. Do we have a strong financial position? (laughs) It's wise advice as opposed to no money down stuff, which it can up your level of risk. You know, it can. And although we do have a book called How to Invest with No and Low Money Down, um, no money down means none of your own money down, not no money down. Nobody's going to give you a house without anything in it, except actually there's two. Um, If you can qualify for a USDA loan, which is more for a rural area or a VA loan, if you are a veteran, those are the only two loan programs that I know of that come with 0% down. But I mean, for the most part, you should have money to put into the property or at least have a cushion in case something goes wrong. That is good. You know, we ended up going with a Freddie Mac Home Possible program in a neighborhood that I guess they thought they wanted to encourage people to invest and move into from the last census track. But I'm sure when they update the census track, it will probably no longer qualify. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So it was good timing. Yeah, that's really good timing. They do lag. I mean, the government is the government and it is this huge, slow moving beast. So a lot of times what they think is rural is no longer rural. I have a friend who got a USDA loan in one of the hottest areas in northern Colorado, which is still considered technically rural. But, you know, they've got subdivision after subdivision popping up all over the place. Oh, that's good. Well, we're starting to get into the tactical and that's fine because I wanted to hear just one to orient folks. I think one cool, innovative thing that you do which I had never even heard of, is you purchase a home, you live in it for a while while you're renovating, and then you resell it. What's the story? How's it work? So this is called a live-in flip. 
I have done this eight times. I buy a house that is cosmetically ugly, but structurally sound so that I'm not moving into something that's going to crumble around me. Um, so, you know, you're not looking at something like a meth house or something mm-hmm. with mold or something with significant issues. I buy it. I move into it. It is my primary residence. So I get a lower mortgage rate because owner occupants have the lowest mortgage rates. Uh, owner occupants with the best credit have the lowest mortgage rates. I fix it up for two years. And two is the magic number because if I sell it after two years, I pay no capital gains taxes on the increase, the difference in the value between what I bought it at and what I paid for or what I sold it for um, minus repairs. I pay no capital gains up to $500,000 because I'm married and up to $250,000 if I were single. So the house that I'm in now, I bought it for $176,000. I put roughly $100,000 into it. And currently, I could put it on the market and sell it in a hot second for $500 or $525. So there's a significant amount of capital gains that I have uh, realized in this home. And uh, I will pay no taxes on it when I sell it. That is brilliant. And that's the kind of stuff that you pick up over at Bigger Pockets. And I think that's so cool. So well, I just wanted to get that out there so we can learn a little bit about you and sort of how you do your thing. But maybe let's get a broader perspective in terms of when we talk about financial freedom, how do you think about that and define it? And what does that mean in real lived terms? So I consider myself financially free, which to me means I don't need to work in order to pay my bills, in order to feed my children, in order to, you know, put food on the table and have a roof over my head. I have enough money that I have saved up and invested so that I would never have to work again. And that means that I can choose to work in a passion project, in a thing that doesn't make me much money because the money is now out of the equation and now I can just do what I love. That's cool. And so what are you doing then? Uh, well, I work at Bigger Pockets. And I talk about real estate all day long. You you alluded earlier, we're kind of getting into the weeds. Please rein me in because I can literally talk about this all day. And I do. That's my job. And I really love doing that. So while I am well compensated, I could work there for free. Just don't tell my boss. Oh, that's really cool. And you hear that sort of enthusiasm for real estate on the podcast in terms of folks, they just eat, sleep, breathe and live it and love it. Yeah. I think that real estate is a really great investment. There's a quote, I can't remember who has said it, buy land, they're not making any more of it. There isn't a finite amount of real estate in the world, but it's still almost always rising in price. That's right. And we have the population growing. And that's another reason I'm a fan of farmland as investments go, because we continue to eat year after year and there are more people doing it. That is absolutely true. And uh, farmland is not something I really know that much about. Anyway, so we talked about the two-year strategy, the house hacking. You know, I'd love to get your take both on the earning more and the saving more sides of things. You've learned a ton from your work and your research and your enthusiasm and reading and talking to people. What have you discovered to be some of the most effective approaches? We'll start with earning more. You think would be applicable for professionals working in a job right now? You want to make yourself invaluable. You want to be the go-to person for fill in the blank. Whatever it is, you want your boss to think, oh, I got a project. I'm going to give it to Pete because I know Pete's going to do it. He's not going to give me excuses. He's not going to be late. You know, there's kind of a shortage of people who do a good job. 
There's a lot of people who do an average job, who do a mediocre job. There's no shortage of people who do a bad job. But the people who are really, really awesome at their jobs, that's not all that common. So if you can stand out, you can be so much more valuable. And then when you are invaluable to your boss, you go in and you ask for a raise. This is something that so many people struggle with. You know, they don't want to ask for a raise. What's the worst that can happen? Is your boss going to fire you because you asked for a raise? He's not the right person to work for. He or she, sorry, I don't want to be sexist, um, isn't the right person to work for anyway. If you go in and you have solid data to back up why you deserve this raise and what you've done in the past year, in the past six months, how your job has changed or whatever, the worst that can happen is they say no, or they say no, not right now. If they say not right now, ask them when. But I think um, so many people leave so much money on the table simply because they don't ask for a raise. I know I like a lot of what you're saying here and to dig into some more. But that point about it's kind of rare that people are awesome at their jobs. I second that in doing the research for Hmm. But anyone listen to this podcast, <laughs> you know, I collected, you know, three different survey tools, which is pretty cool. And I got a sense that between four and 18% of people in the U.S. were highly interested in listening to a podcast that would help them be awesome at their jobs. And it's funny because sometimes I have guests who say, who wouldn't want to be awesome at their jobs? Like, Well, I mean, you, it's kind of the majority. You know, we are uh, a minority. So thank you, listeners. It's great to have you and, and be in a cool kids club. And I I was chatting with my buddy, Carl, and Carl, he was working for actually, it was a mortgage company and Carl was getting promoted quickly. And I was like, Carl, what's your trick? What are you doing? And he just said, I'm doing my job. You know, I'm supposed to follow up on these leads. And so that's sort of what I do all day. And then other people, they do that for maybe half of the day. <laughs> and the other half, they're kind of, well, they're sort of chilling out in whatever way with chit-chatting with people or Facebook or their phones or sort of whatever distractions enter their world. So yeah, awesomeness is rare and valuable and can get you paid. So I want to hear a little bit about the data point. What are some of your favorite resources or pieces of information and numbers you would point to when you're armed to have that, please give me a raise conversation well? This isn't a conversation you can plan for in five minutes. If you are going to ask for a raise, you need to plan that out uh, because you want to start keeping track of what you're doing every day. I've got a couple of stories. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I had a friend whose boss came up to her one day and said, I don't think you're doing what you say you're doing. Hmm. And she went home that day and called me up and she got all mad. She's like, I can't believe she would ask me this. A couple of months later, she got fired because her boss kind of gave her a heads up. Look, I think you're not doing what you're, you say you're doing. And she never proved her boss wrong. Hmm. At almost the exact same time, my husband's boss said the same thing to him. But my husband's boss said this because my husband was working, living in Colorado. The boss was in Chicago. He was working from home. So my husband started keeping track of absolutely everything he did every single day. And he turned it in every week to his boss. His boss didn't ask him to do this. He just did this on his own. And after 18 months, he worked for the government. So, you know, it's kind of a long drawn out process. But after 18 months, the boss came to him and said, you don't need to send me these anymore. I totally believe you're doing what you say you're doing. So your boss gives you money in exchange for the job. You should be 
keeping track daily or weekly what you're doing. Your boss doesn't want to see an, uh, you know, list of 365 days worth of stuff you did, but you can kind of keep track every day. Oh, today I did this. Today I did that. I worked on this project. So when it comes time to ask your boss for a raise, you can show them your log and they're not going to read it. They're just going to be like, holy cow, I can't believe you did this. And then show them like some bullet points. I got that big promotion or I got that big uh, contract that you were looking for. I, you know, increased my sales by this or I did that or whatever it is, you know, having proof that you did it goes a long way to uh, to getting the raise. You know, your boss is going to see how dedicated you are to the job just by showing him all the things that you have, all the things you've been doing. Um, and another place to start looking is Glassdoor. It's a good place to get a comparison of what people in your area are making for doing the same job that you do. Right. So if you're making $50,000 a year and everybody else in your area is making 55, you can ask for 60. I would always overshoot. Um, Ask for 60 and say, look, everybody is making this, but here's all the things that I've been doing and here's why I deserve it. Just going in and asking for a raise is not necessarily going to get you anything. Yeah, I like that a lot. And that practice associated with keeping track of what you're doing, I think it'd be so helpful on numerous dimensions. So, so many guests have said sort of their top habit for being awesome at their job is just having a simple list of, okay, these are the, you know, one, two, three, limited number of things I'm going to do today. So they have that focus before emails or distractions sort of suck them into other agendas. And so that practice one gets you focused day by day. And two, lets you capture those bullets of achievement, whether that goes into a resume when it's time to update it or for the annual review. And you just have that ready to go and repurpose any which way to serve your needs. Yeah. I have one more quote that I'm going to butcher. It's from George Carlin. And obviously he's a comedian. He says, think of how stupid the average person is and realize that half of them are stupider than that. So take out stupid and replace it with lazy. Think of how lazy the average worker is and realize that half of them are lazier than that. A very small amount of work will yield so many results just because you're so much better than your peers. Mm -hmm. Well, so nice perspectives on the earning side. Any other favorite approaches you'd like to mention? You know, there's side hustles. If there's no way to make more money at your current job, um, a side hustle is a great way to bring in extra income without committing to a totally second job. Um, and there's, I mean, that's the sky's the limit. What are your passions? You know, what are you excited about? What do you want to do? Some side hustles pay more than others. Um, some are not so exciting. You know, it just, it depends. But I, I really think that at your main job, you're most likely leaving a lot of money on the table simply by not asking for a raise, a specific dollar amount. I'm making 50, I want to make 60. So I'm going to ask for 65 they win by giving me 61 and then I win because I only won at 60 or you know, however that works. Oh, perfect. Well, now let's talk about the savings side of the equation. What are some of your favorite approaches there? So my absolute favorite approach to saving money is to know where your money is going. Uh, you can't know where to cut back if you don't know where it's going right now. So I uh, I used to say that your step number one is to track your spending, but really your your number one step to saving money should be to write down what your life goals are. What are your goals with money? What do you want to do with what you have? And after you've written that out, you know, thought about what you really, really want, then start tracking your spending and you will be probably surprised at 
how you're spending that you haven't been tracking doesn't really align with your goals. It might a little bit, but there's always room for improvement. Um, one of the easiest ways to track spending is uh, my friends over at wafflesonwednesday.com wrote up this amazing article and it is called How to Make Your Own Mobile Expense Tracking App in 30 Minutes. And it's free. They give you step-by-step instructions on basically how to take a Google form and create it to, you know, customize it to your spending needs and put it on your phone. And every time you spend a dime, you, you track it in the spender, in, in, the, in the tracking app. And what you will discover is I do this too many times a month. I want to cut that back or, wow, I didn't know that about my spending. I'm glad I had this, this look at what's going on. And the first time I tracked my spending, I discovered that I went to the grocery store literally every single day. And I was just picking up one thing and I was just picking up one other thing. And, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you don't just buy one thing. You buy like one thing plus two others. And but if you do that every day, that adds up to so much money spent. And I was just going in. Oh, I could use this or I could use that. It was between my house and the gym and I would go to the gym every morning. So I would just stop by on the way home. And once I started tracking my spending, I realized that's not really what I want to be doing is throwing all of my money at the grocery store. So I cut that back and my spending was cut. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much in how much I cut out of my spending, but it was significant and it was noticeable the next month. And I'd also love to get your take. So that mobile tracking app, that's very clever. And I've, I've made something like that once to track my energy levels to sort of see, hmm, are there some patterns <laughs> associated with when I should do creative work versus, you know, focused detail work? And that's been very helpful. And so is Zippy, you know, just push a button on the phone and boom, there's a Google form and Five seconds later, you got the data collected. But for the lazy listener, we'll say, Mindy, can I just see what I've got on mint.com? Won't that sort of a transaction log be sufficient for me when I use my credit cards? You can, if you'd like. Um, when we first started tracking our spending, we had a spiral notebook with a pen and it was right by the door as I walked in. So I would see it and remember to mark down my spending. Whatever you can do to track your spending, whatever tactic works for you, uh, is the best option. Mm -hmm. Very good. Also, we mentioned Mint.com. What about any other sort of software or solutions that are helpful for folks? We got the Google Form approach on your phone. We got the notebook. We got Mint.com. I've heard of YNAB. You need a budget. Do you, you know people who love that or are there any other solutions you'd point to? I know people who love YNAB. I know, I believe it has a bit of a learning curve, but I know they've got really great tech support that can help you through that. I haven't personally used it. Um, so I don't, I can't say that it's great or it's terrible or whatever. I haven't, nev I've never used it. Um, what worked for me the most was that notebook on the counter because it was in my face as I walked in the door. Whenever I walked in, I walked in through one door. So having it there, Whatever you can use to remind yourself. Um, now that I have this on the phone, it's kind of fun to have it on the phone and I don't even leave the grocery store or the parking lot, you know, wherever I'm at before I, I track my spending um, just so I don't forget it. And it, having it on my phone makes it really easy to like it's it's in my head all the time and it's a game. Now it's a game. Oh, how little can I spend? And you know, I'm also intrigued by you're keeping this practice alive and well, though you mentioned earlier, you've done eight houses worth of these 
living in flips and you are currently at financial freedom. And it kind of reminds me of Warren Buffett who continues to live modestly and thoughtfully about his expenses, even though he's got massive wealth. Can you give me a view into that mindset of you got more than enough money and you continue these practices? Some might say that's unnecessary. What's your take? So when I was doing a little bit of research for your podcast, I heard you ask people about their favorite quote. And my favorite quote for decades has been from Coco Chanel. She said, I don't care what you think about me. I don't think about you at all. (laughs) And she's really sassy. Uh, But, you know, I don't care what other people (laughs) think of me. If you don't like my car, I don't care. If you don't like my clothes, I don't care. I don't have the latest phone. I have the phone that I have figured out. I don't want a new phone because I don't want to have to figure it out. I'm not the biggest techie person on the planet. I have a house that looks nice, but it's also, you know, it looks nice because I'm getting ready to sell it to somebody who cares what their house looks like. I don't care that you think I live in a dump when I move from here to the next place, which will be a dump when I move in. Um, Cause it doesn't, it doesn't affect me what you or what other people think of me. And I think that's a really big part of financial freedom. I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know who the Joneses are. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a mindset. It's a, it's a confidence thing. I would rather spend time with my children than have the latest phone or, you know, I've got a really good bicycle that I've had for something like 17 years. It still gets me where I need to go. So why do I need a new one just because they came out with a new, you know, version of it? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think a large part of that is you're really clear on what you want, what you value and the priority. And thusly, the other stuff falls away. It kind of does. You know, I buy what I want to buy. And it's because I want, you know, I, I buy for quality when I'm buying something that where quality means something to me. Like coffee. That's a big one in the financial freedom world. Oh, don't go to Starbucks. I don't go to Starbucks. I don't particularly love the taste of their coffee. But I buy good coffee and I make it at home. And it's good. And I don't care that I don't have a green cup in my hand or I don't have the red holiday cup or whatever they're doing now. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about buying for quality, that reminds me of the book, The Millionaire Next Door, which is so great and full of research. And they mentioned that the average price of shoes for millionaires, like what do they spend on their dress shoes? I will not remember the number and it probably needs to be adjusted for inflation, but it was something like 200 bucks. It was not like a $600 crazy luxury brand but it was also not the cheapos. It was a shoe that they hope to resole and wear for a decade or two or three. And if I will say that if you're a man, you can get away with that. Um, ladies' styles go in and out. But again, if you don't care, I mean, I'm trying to think what, I don't even know if I have any dress shoes right now because um, I don't dress up any, and go anywhere. I, that's not something that I enjoy. Um, I don't go to the opera, the cinema, or, mm-hmm. or, or not the cinema, the theater. Oh, uh, the theater. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't do any of that because I don't like that's not something I enjoy. I really, oh, the opera. Uh, I'm not a fan and I'll just leave it at that. I'm sure it's it's beautiful and whatever. It's just not something that I want to go to. But I do go to the symphony, the local symphony, which is held in the high school auditorium. And, you know, you could, as long as you have on clothes, that's all they need you to be wearing. Okay. <laughs> That's for my speed. The dress code (laughs) is clothes. (laughs) Yeah. Having a good quality item that, you know, it's you spend 
on what is important to you. You save money on things that don't matter so you can spend on what's important to you. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well, so let's hear about some other approaches for the saving. So once you got a clear picture on where your money's going and some of the mismatches, you make some adjustments. What have you found to be some common recurring opportunities for, oh, you know, lots of people overspend on this and there's an easy way to stop doing that. A lot of people overspend on their phone plan, on their insurance, on recurring charges that they don't really think about. One thing that I have heard, one recommendation that I've heard from a lot of different people is to go through your credit card statement every single month and make sure that the recurring charges are the least amount that you can spend for the level of service or quality that you want. Let's say you have a phone plan from your big name phone company and it's $100 a month and it includes unlimited texting and unlimited data And I don't even know what's available because I don't use any data on my phone. Um, But I use Ting, T-I-N-G dot com. And they run over the Sprint network. And there's a couple of different ones. Republic Wireless is another one. Um, I think Cricket Wireless is also a low cost, but don't quote me on that. Um, Where my plan, my basic plan is $15 a month. And that includes unlimited Wi-Fi phone calls and a few other things and like a gig of data or something that I never go over because I hardly ever use it. Um, But they have different levels of plans and you only pay for what you're using. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fascinating. And you could just sort of take your existing phone once your contract is up and say, hey, ting me up. It depends. You would have to talk to Ting to make sure that your phone is compatible. I think that not all phones are compatible. This is something that I don't do a lot of. I got on Ting and then I never look at it again. I have the same phone for a long time because I don't want to learn a new phone. I just want to have Google Maps and the ability to text and make a phone call. Mm -hmm. Everything else is bonus. So your insurance, your car insurance, your home insurance. One thing that I have noticed is that your premiums go up every year. And... If you shop around to other companies, you might get a teaser rate or you might get a lower rate simply because your insurance company is kind of banking on you to be lazy and not check. Like the cable companies do. Yeah. Kind of like the cable companies do. Yeah. Do you need everything that's in that list of insurance? When I first uh, started driving, I had full coverage. And now I have pretty basic coverage because I'm a good driver and I don't hit people. And I'm covered if somebody else hits me and I have enough money to cover the old car that I have, uh, which I probably wouldn't get anything for anyway. So I don't have coverage if I hit somebody. I don't have coverage for my own vehicle. Um, But I also haven't been in an accident that was my fault since like 1992 or something like that. So another thing to do is is, uh, raise your deductible. My deductible when I was a kid was like $100 because I couldn't scrape together anything more than that. And now I think it's $2,000 because I can come together with $2,000 and have everything else covered. So just review your recurring charges. Ask for discounts everywhere you can. I mean, again, what's the worst that they're going to do? They're going to say no. And then you threaten to cancel the account or you cancel it and go someplace else that gives you a better price. Mm Mm-hmm. That's nice. And I also like one takeaway I picked up from Bigger Pockets is to focus in on the big areas of spending and to not stress so much like the latte. Oh, I love the latte. I don't want to give up the latte. Well, the latte matters less than what you're spending on your home, your domicile, your living arrangement, your transportation or car, and your food, your groceries, what you're 
consuming, whether it's out or in. So do you have any pro tips on optimizing those big ones? I do have pro tips on optimizing those big ones. Uh, Let's start with your car. Do you need your car? Do you need it all the time? Do you have an alternative way to get to wherever it is you're going in the car? Most people use their car to get to work. Um, How close do you live to work? Could you walk? Could you bike? Could you, you know, get a ride with somebody? We have a guy at Bigger Pockets named Craig who used to rent out his car on Turo and made a lot of money doing it. He would take his bike to work. He would get a ride with somebody if he needed to. And he just rented his car out all the time. Um, So that's a way to get rid of your expense when you don't really need the, the item. Um, housing, you can Airbnb, you can rent out the unused portions of your home. Um, you can have a roommate. How much space do you have? That's just vacant and not being used ever. You know, you house hack, you bought how many units is your property? Three, three. So you bought a house that has three separate living spaces in it. And you, I'm assuming live in one and rent out two others. That's right. So you know, let's use some real easy math. If your mortgage is a thousand dollars a month and you are renting out each unit for $600 a month, you're spending a thousand dollars to make $1,200 and living for free in the third unit. So there's a lot of ways to cut down your expenses, eliminate them, even make money on your previous uh, liability. Now it's an asset simply by tweaking something. Um, If you don't want to move, you could just rent out a room in your house and maybe you're not having your entire mortgage paid, but any portion of your mortgage that you you don't have to pay is a win. Absolutely. And how about on the food side of things? On the food side of things, I would absolutely recommend to plan your meals and look at inexpensive food ingredients. Sweet potatoes are inexpensive and potatoes are inexpensive. Look for ways to build your meals around inexpensive staples with, you know, a pinch of something else. If you are a meat eater, maybe you have a small amount of meat with your very vegetable heavy meal. I am a meat eater, so Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of meat. But I do have a a daughter who saw this movie called Freebirds, which is a a cartoon. And she that was the first time she equated turkey that you eat with turkey the bird. And has never eaten a piece of meat since. So I have learned to do a lot of vegetarian meal planning. And beans are cheap. Canned beans are cheap, but dried beans are even cheaper. And you can buy in bulk and, you know, plan your meals around these protein sources that aren't meat, which is fairly expensive. And I love it when you have dried beans. If you throw them in an instant pot, you can get them rare and to go and eat pretty quickly without the whole soaking process. So there's another one. That's what I've heard. I don't have an Instant Pot, so I can't speak to that. But go to Pinterest.com and look up 50 billion recipes for insert ingredient here. You know, what can I do with with canned beans or what can I do with dried beans? Oh, here's 47 recipes for you. Chili is a super hearty meal that you can make. And I mean, you just throw in a bunch of stuff in that pot. Uh Well, and it's wild just how far you can take this. The Wall Street Journal recently had an article about the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early, and that profiled someone whose monthly grocery bill was $75. And that's what does it for eating for one for a month, 75 bucks. 
that is not my budget and (laughs) good for her for being able to do it. She had tips like, you know, buy produce that isn't optimal. There was this quote that was kind of bandied about in the fire community. Oh, she eats brown bananas. So what? That's when they're the best. You know, the Chiquita banana song, when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue, bananas taste the best and are the best for you. So I don't know. Sorry. No, I love it. You know, if you have any musical numbers, welcome. We'll, oh, <laughs> we'll great. Take them all. <laughs> you know, my grocery store has a dented aisle. It doesn't matter if there's a dent. It doesn't matter that, you know, something the can is or the, the box is like crushed on the corner unless it's taco shells. Those are always just disintegrated. Don't buy those in the dented aisle. But everything else, like I have a box of cereal. It's got a dent in it. So instead of $4.99, it's 99 cents. I'll take that every day. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is handy in terms of earning more and saving more. What do you see are sort of the most common mistakes or difficult decisions that folks are really wrestling with when they're trying to get their financial house in order? So personal finance is personal. It means it's what happens to your finances. So if you want to go to Starbucks every morning, then go put that into your budget and cut back on other things. What I see people doing is reading. There's a guy who's been blogging since the beginning of time called Early Retirement Extreme. And he lives on beans and rice and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And he's okay with that. I'm not okay with that. I don't live on beans and rice and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I see people thinking that it's got to be this extreme thing when it doesn't really have to be this extreme thing. Um, One of the things that uh, we hear a lot on our podcast is, you know, oh, what did you do when you first discovered financial independence? Oh, I cut out everything. And then month two, they add things back in. And it is a good exercise to cut out everything to see what you really, really, really want, uh, what you what means more to you than you thought it did, um, and then add that back in. But, you know, another way to do it is just cut out one thing at a time. Do you watch a lot of TV? Um, We actually don't watch a lot of TV, so we don't have a TV plan. We just have Netflix. Um, If you watch a lot of sports and it's like a big part of your life, then cut out something else that doesn't mean so much to you, you know, but, but don't try to live my life because my life isn't your life. You need to live your life. And it all goes back to writing down your goals. You know, what do you enjoy? What do you want out of this life? Mm -hmm. I dig it. Well, Mindy, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, you're pretty thorough, Pete. Oh, shucks. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, we heard your favorite quote. So how about a favorite book? My favorite book is called The Richest Man in Babylon. It was written in 1920 by George S. Clayson. And as you read it, it's so it's written in like King James Bible language, um, Shakespeare language. So it's I love Shakespeare and I love that language. So it was fun for me to read. You don't get a lot of books like that anymore, Um, but it can be a little bit difficult to digest just based on the language. But he talks about, you know, don't spend every dime that you make. Don't invest with people who really don't know what they're talking about. You know, pay yourself first. And what's what's really telling about this book is it was written almost a hundred years ago and it's all still true. There isn't any bit of this advice that isn't still valid. That's a good one. And I remember I listened to an audio version of the book and I don't know why, I'll just remember it forever. Just the way the narrator did it. It's like the richest man in Babylon. <laughs> pay thyself first. <laughs> Oh, it's a good memory. Thank you. 
that is hilarious. Yeah, and he probably sounds just like that. That's a great. Oh, it was very regal. It was like Patrick Stewart <laughs> doing a Shakespeare thing. <laughs> but it's a really great book. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool? A favorite tool. You know, I'm going to go back to that Waffles on Wednesday spending tracker just because I don't have a lot of tools that I use and I use that one all the time. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit. Write down what you did that day. It's really easy for Monday to turn into Friday and you get to the next Monday and you're like, oh, what did I work on last week? I don't remember. But get in the habit of writing down what you have accomplished, what you have worked on, even some failures, you know, what what you tried and didn't work so that you can learn from that too, so that you can represent yourself when you go to make a, to request for a raise. So you can represent yourself when you change jobs. You know, do you remember what you did four jobs ago? I don't. Four jobs ago was a really long time ago, but I don't remember what I did four jobs ago. Not at least not day to day. Oh, I entered products into the system. That's not exciting. What else did you do? Mm-hmm. Very good. And how about, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate and get retweeted? Save on the things that don't matter so you can spend on the things that do. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I am all over biggerpockets.com. You can find me on Twitter at Mindy, at BP, M-I-N-D-Y, A-T, BP for Bigger Pockets. And my email is Mindy at biggerpockets.com. And I am slow to respond. It's not you, it's me. I'm inundated. But if somebody has a question about anything, I love talking about everything I just talked to you about. Oh, cool. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? So I would just challenge everybody to start tracking what they're doing with their life, what they're doing in their job, what they're doing with their spending, you know, just start keeping track of stuff. And it doesn't have to be some detailed minute by minute account of what you did at your job that day, or, you know, penny by penny accounting of your spending, just a general overall picture will give you a lot of insight into how you are living. Mm hmm. Well, Mindy, this has been so much fun. Thank you for the good work you do at Bigger Pockets and sharing the good word. I wish you lots of luck and all you're up to the next house sale and purchase and all the rest. Pete, thank you for having me. I had a really, really fun time. I really loved Mindy's take on how just a little bit of extra effort can produce tremendous results for you because you differentiate yourself from the other folks in your workplace look super awesome and thus differentiate yourself so you are in great shape for having that raise conversation. And I think what's tricky about this tip is that it's very easy to be molded by the environment that you're in. So if you're with a variety of other workers who are not so ambitious and motivated to be listening to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, well, first, invite them to listen to the show. Check out episodes A, B, C, D, E, F, some of the favorites, a great place to start. But other than that, it's important to, I think, establish your own higher standard such that you say, well, you know what? This seems to be the norm around here, but this is the particular way that I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. Maybe it's with regard to timeliness or responsiveness or to work quality or contributing some extra ideas or being a little bit more proactive when you have a complaint or issue that you're raising about prospective solutions or doing some research and building out a little bit more robust evidence behind your rationale for a given recommendation or decision, whatever that may be, if you could identify a specific thing 
that you are going to do that holds yourself to a bit of a higher standard than maybe your environment and do it day after day, well, hopefully you will be recognized and receive the cash money rewards from it. And if not in your current workplace, perhaps in another one that will value you for what you're bringing to that table. So great stuff from Mindy. A nice reminder to hold yourself high to a great standard and rock out. I dug it again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced. It's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep386. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It is Julie Benazet. She's got some cool perspectives when she was in charge of acquiring real estate for a company, Amazon.com, in their early days when they had no idea how much space they needed, how many products they were going to be selling, what kind of growth rate they're experiencing. So she knows a thing or two about her area of expertise, which is navigating uncertainty. How do you find that confidence and that courage to flourish in those environments? Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.